following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. Well, we're going to dive right in. We have been diving in, haven't we? It's a good party so far. All right. Well, we are in a series titled, Who Do You Say I Am? And what we really want is that we would walk away from this time um, with a greater revelation of who he is, not so much just what he did, because sometimes as we look at the life of Jesus in this season of Lent and we look at the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we can focus a little bit on what he did. Even our statement of faith can sometimes be, this is the things that he did and we believe that he did these things. But Pastor Bob opened the series really well reminding us that it's about who we say he is. That when we get too connected to what we think he's going to do, we can sometimes miss who he is. And that it's who he is that we want to show up. It's who he is when he walks into the room that changes things. It's not just, oh, he's here, so he's going to do this. No, he brought who he is into the room. So we want to be able to answer that question for ourselves. Who do I say he is? He are. Who do I say he is? I'm not sure how the grammar goes for that. Is. Is. Thank you, grammar helpers. Um, So it's important, and it matters that we can answer this question because a lot of people are comfortable, even people who aren't followers of Jesus, even people who don't confess to love Jesus, they're comfortable with what he did. They're comfortable saying, yes, Jesus was a a man who did these things. They're even comfortable saying, we should probably be more like him, like we should be more like Gandhi, or we should be more like Buddha. Or we should be more like these people that did these things that we're comfortable with. But where people become uncomfortable is in the confession of faith of who he is. And that's really why it's important that we, as the church, understand who he is, not just what he did. Jesus is absolutely... be outside of the church even, people would say, he is probably one of the most, if not the most, fascinating, influential figures in history. Time was divided based on him. He is an influential figure in history. People have done many things in his name. They've prayed in his name and baptized and healed and taken vows of poverty and, and gone to great lengths I'm going to have to shout more during the week. Uh, Gone to great lengths to to serve him, sacrificed, left their homes in the name of Jesus. People have also cursed using his name. People have committed atrocities using his name. 
They've carried out cons using his name. His image has, has been reproduced thousands of thousands of times. What, this question, what does Jesus look like? And artists have reproduced it in stained glass and, um, and in cartoons. <laughs> I don't think he's ever been a vegetable. I don't think Veggie Tales touched that one. I can't remember. I don't think Jesus ever showed up as a veggie. But, but his, his image has been replicated. There's been debate about who he was. Was he divine? Was he human? Was he divine? Then he put off all the divine and put on only the human. Was he human and divine at the same time? Is that even possible? Yes, the Bible tells us it is. And in secular, uh, secular places of education, they debate who Jesus is. They want to know. There's History Channel specials about who he was, and there's different writings. So, so we know there is this desire to know who he is, but a lot of times that discussion is based around what he did. And it's important for us to make the distinction of who he was, who he is. Either he is who he says he is, or he's insane. And that's where it comes down to it. In a, in a conversation with somebody when they go, yeah, I think it's awesome that you follow Jesus. He was a good man. He was a good teacher. We should live like him. I like, I like his love and the way that he was... You know, he treated people. And, but where the separation comes is when I say, yes, and I believe that this is who he is. He's the way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> He's the son of God. He's the resurrection. Not just he was resurrected, but he is the resurrection. Amen? Amen? So this is the question that's important for us to ask. I think at least as important now, if not more important now than ever in history, who do we say he is? This was the question that he asked his followers. I know we read this last week, but I'm going to review it real quick because I have so much time to do that. But he, here's what he'd said. Jesus came into the region of... Ses I'm sorry. Sorry, Lindsay. I'm in Matthew, uh, verse 16. No, chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? This is interesting. This, this translation, the New King James, is one of the only translations that, that says, Who do men say I, the Son of Man, is? The other translations say, who do people say the Son of Man is? And it's <clears throat> important for us to note that he's not annoyingly speaking in the third person here when he says, who do people say the Son of Man is? He's not speaking in the third person. He's actually talking about a figure that was very prominent in Jewish belief, the Son of Man. This is a figure that was most uh, prominent in the prophecies in Daniel. This discussion about the Son of Man, 
that would come and establish God's reign on the earth, a figure that looked like a human but had divine, divine authority and qualities. So he wasn't necessarily in that question. He wasn't saying, who do they say I am? He was saying, who do people say this son of man is, this character that had been debated over the years what it, was, what it meant when Daniel talked about it. Let's read it really quick. In Daniel, don't I wish I remembered where Daniel was. In Daniel chapter 7. He says, I was watching, uh, verse 13, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So this is the reference that Jesus is making when he says, who to men say the Son of Man is? And that's why they answered, well, some say it's Elijah. Some say when Daniel was talking about this, they were talking about Elijah. Some say, some people thought actually that John the Baptist was this Son of Man that Daniel was talking about that was prophesied. Some say it's this teacher or that teacher or this prophet or that prophet. I'm guessing it was a debate that went on in in the synagogue. Who is the son of man? Who is that person? And what they repeated to him really was the theories of the day. What do people say about this, this son of man? I think sometimes we do that. We repeat the theories of the day about who Jesus is or what he's doing. But then he gets much more personal. He says, who do you say I am? At that point, nobody else was saying the son of man that's being talked about in Daniel is this Jesus. So, when, when he asked them the question, who do people say the son of man, they didn't say, well, some people think it's you. Because <laughs> that wasn't, hadn't really entered the discussion. So now he asks them, who do you say that I am? In some ways, he's saying it really doesn't matter what they're saying. Who, what do you think? And again, this is the question that separates us from others or the answer can separate us from others, because then what Peter said was, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And we know that 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 word, Christ, it's actually the Greek word for the word Messiah, for the Hebrew word Messiah. So this was his declaration. With that, we know that the Messiah was the anointed one. It was recognized that the person who was labeled the Messiah was was set apart, was anointed for a particular purpose. 
And with that declaration, they carried a great deal of hope because they had been waiting. They had been waiting for this one who would restore rule in Israel, who would come and reign, that would remove the oppression that they had been under. And so for Peter to make that declaration, it's laced with this amazing hope because they'd been waiting and waiting for this king to come that was the anointed one. And, and here he's saying, I think you're it. I think you're the one. He may have even said the words and not realized that they came out of his mouth because <laughs> it was a revelation. So he, he makes that declaration. They had been waiting. When is this king going to come? When is this deliverer going to be here? When is the throne going to be restored? So he's saying, you are the long-expected long promised one. You are the one who's going to come and do all those things. And Peter gets it. Jesus affirms him and says, good job, Peter. Happy are you. Way to go. High five. You, you got it. You get it. Don't tell anybody else. I still don't quite understand that, except that Jesus has a way that he wants to show up. He has a way that he wants to give representation of who he is. Sometimes our words mess that up, so I think he wanted him to just, that's good, that's a revelation that you have. Don't tell anybody. And then the very next thing, this is the thing that, that gets us. The very next thing he says, after Peter has this revelation, and he says, you're the Christ, you're the one we've been waiting for, and Jesus says, yes, I am. Then he says not to tell anyone, and in verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Can you imagine the whiplash in that moment of this statement of faith that comes out of Peter? You are the one that's going to set everything right. And he says, yes, you are right. And now I need to go and die a brutal death. And I don't, you know, when we come to the story of, of resurrection, when we, when we talk about that a little bit, don't you kind of go wonder why they were surprised because it says from that point forward, he talked to them about this. He said, this is what's going to happen. And yet they still were dismayed and shocked. And I think, I think it's easy for me to go, well, I went to Ben because I would have listened to Jesus and known. But I think I would have been. Because yes, he, they had this revelation that he was the coming king. He was the one that was going to set everything right. But he did it so unexpectedly. It, it was so beyond what they, what they thought, even, even him telling them that, that he didn't restore it right then and there the way that they thought. He didn't take the throne right there in Israel. And this is, I've, I've heard it put like this. 
It's because Jesus didn't come to defeat Rome. He came to defeat sin and Satan and death and the grave. He came to defeat something so much bigger than just that historical rule and reign of the Romans over Israel. He came to defeat all of evil. He came not to deliver just Israel, but to deliver everyone that God so loved the world that all. He came to liberate all of creation from the corruption of sin and death. He came not just to restore David's rule in this little small place, but to actually restore God's rule on the whole earth. So where death had worked its way into society and mankind as demonstrated by this Roman rule over them. But now he's saying now life can have its work again. He came not just to rule temporarily, but to rule forever and eternally. But none of them were thinking that way (laughs) because they were fixated on what they thought he would do and not who he was. And so it's important that we can answer that question because for them, all of their hopes came crashing down with the crucified Jesus, with the violence of that death, with the brutality of it, with the scene in the street, and with, to them, the worst possible thing that could happen. It was a huge moment of disappointment for them. And part of it for them, it rocked, it was... I certainly don't know anymore who you are, Jesus, because I thought you were going to do this. But more than that, they no longer knew who they were because he had told them who they were. But now they don't even really know who he is. So who are we as his followers? It's important that we know who he is because then we know who we are. So there's a bunch of, we know the end of the story. We have that benefit. Some could argue that they should have known the end of the story because he had told them that he would rise. But there was an amazing amount of disappointment in that. And yet we know that he rose. The resurrection came today. That's what we're celebrating. And there's a lot of resurrection stories that we could focus on where he's encountering the women in the garden and and he's speaking Mary's name and all of those different places. But this is the one I want to look at. It's my favorite. It's in Luke chapter 24. Verse 13. It's the two men on the road to Emmaus. Behold, two of them were traveling that same day. Two of them meaning two disciples. Not one of the twelve but disciples that had been with Jesus. They were traveling that same to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. They were walking away from Jerusalem, and they were talking together of all these things which had happened. So here's the first thing. They were leaving Jerusalem because to them it was over. It was the end. Their hopes were dashed. If they had an expectation of Jesus rising, they would have stayed in Jerusalem. But they were walking away from Jerusalem because it's over. They were walking away from the place that they thought God was going to show up (laughs) because he didn't. 
do what they thought he was going to do, and so now it's over. I think there are a lot of people who are walking away from the place that they thought they were going to meet God (laughs) because they feel like it's over. There's things in their lives that carry a disappointment. They go, I thought it was going to be like this and it wasn't. And there's nothing more to see here, so I'm leaving. (laughs) Do you know people like that? Have we been people like that? Yes. And so they're, they're walking away. And it says, as they talked together, these things which had happened, so it was that they conversed and reasoned. I wonder if it was like this. Yeah, maybe the Son of Man is supposed to be Elijah coming back. Yeah, maybe the Son of Man is. All the things that they thought was true of this Jesus, they began to question. Maybe it's not as good as we thought. But they reasoned, and as they did, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. (laughs) This This is something I want us to understand about the resurrected Jesus. He's... He joins us in our journey, <laughs> even when we're walking away. Right. Even when we think, yeah, it's not what I thought. He joins us in our journey. We have a Savior who will walk with us in that. We have a Savior who, who comes in his new life and presents himself to them. And says, I want to walk, I'm going to walk alongside you in this. So much so that even as they're walking, it says that they didn't, their, their eyes were restrained, they didn't know him. And he said in verse 17, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and you're sad? They're not just walking away, they're walking away sad. They're walking away disappointed. So he says, what kind of conversation is this that you're walking away disappointed? And then it says, um, the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, snottily, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which have happened here? And he said, what things? Tell me the story. Tell me, tell me the story that, that you're taking from this circumstance. So not only does, does Jesus join us, but he's okay to listen to the story that you're telling yourself about this circumstance, this disappointment. Have you, have you ever been in a, if you have, been in any kind of... Um, counseling environment or communication, you know, how, how do we communicate? There's something that we say, we'll say, what is the story you're telling yourself about this? I feel like that's what Jesus was asking. What is the story you're telling yourself about this? But what I love is they tell him, they go through, and it's, it's, all, it's all facts. None of it is untrue. It's all the facts about 
Jesus, uh, the things concerning Jesus. He was a prophet. He was mighty indeed before God and all the people. And the chief priest, uh, chief priest delivered him to be crucified. And here's a key verse in verse 21. They said, but we were hoping. But we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping. Here's what's really interesting. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. And women actually came to us and said that he has risen. But we're still leaving Jerusalem. Why is that? People have actually testified to the life of Jesus. But we're still, we're still leaving. We're still sad. And part of it is because he hadn't yet revealed his life to them. <laughs> There's a place where we need him to come and reveal his resurrection life to us. Yeah. Testimony absolutely can take us to a place where, where we go, yeah, maybe it's possible. But we need him to come and reveal his life as the resurrection and the life. So what I love about what Jesus does next, they go through the whole thing. He was, we had hoped this, and some women even said that it was true that he had raised, but I don't know. And, and then Jesus says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He told them a better story. They said, here's our story. And he said, yep, here's the better story. (laughs) Here's what's true. Jesus wants to find you, whether you're walking towards the city or away from the city. And he wants to tell you a better story about what you've experienced, about what you've been disappointed in, about things that have brought death into your life. And this is, this is what I love about Jesus being the resurrection and the life. Later on, he reveals himself. And where, what's interesting is he reveals himself. This is where they see him, is when he breaks the bread Remember that, that he said, when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. I find it interesting that when he broke the bread and offered it to him, they remembered. <laughs> they remembered that, oh, this is who he is. I see, I see now who he is. We need to recognize that this, this ability to confess that you are the resurrected one, you are the resurrection and the life comes from him revealing himself to us in that, from him giving us that life. In John, when Lazarus died and Martha said, if you had only been here, later on in that story, he says, I am, she says, I know, I know that my my brother will be resurrected in the end of all things. But he said, no, I'm the resurrection and the life. Not... I will resurrect. Because up until that point, resurrection was just something that God did. And Jesus said, no, it's something I am. 
I love that resurrection isn't just about getting a second chance. I think sometimes we look at the cross and resurrection and we go, it's about us getting a second chance. You know what? I don't want a second chance. I will do just as badly with the second chance as I did with the first chance. My, my daughter sometimes will take a test and they'll say, you can take the test again. Do you know the only possible way for her to do better? She has to work harder and study harder. And this is a different situation. It's not, he's, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. So not only I'm going to revive you and give you another chance to try again. He says, no, now I'm going to live through you. I'm going to be the life that you live with. It's about taking something dead and making it alive, not giving it a second chance. And so we want to be able to say, you are my resurrection in my life. You are are now the one that, that I can walk in. Resurrection is not something that Jesus does, it's something that he is. And what he's saying when he says that is, I will introduce you, I will introduce life to everything that has worked death in you. I'm going to bring life to everything that's worked death in you. So if that is sin, he's saying, it's my life that's going to remove everything that's worked death in you. The resurrection is that for us. It's this revelation that what the creator designed, what he made, what God intended on the earth and for us to walk in, yes, was distorted and corrupted by sin. That death entered into that and and this decay began to happen, but that the redeemer restored it. And the resurrection was the defeat of that. But not just in the age to come. Not just, oh, I know that when I die, I won't really die because I have this eternal life. No, that life is at work in us right now. That life was introduced to everything that was, is bringing death in our lives. I think we forget sometimes how powerful the gospel is. I think we can diminish it to the cross made it possible so that I don't have to be punished with death. No, the cross and the resurrection, which really can't be separated. I think sometimes we try to go, well, here's what the cross did and here's what resurrection did. Okay, but they really can't be separated. It is finished was as much about the resurrection as it was about the cross. But we can sometimes look at that and go, yeah, it it made it so that I I cannot be punished and I can approach God. Yep, that's all good. But there's a power in it that goes beyond that. And it's this power of resurrection in life. Ephesians 2, Paul says, And he made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Then go down to verse 4, he says, but this God, he, it goes on to say this, this power of death that's working in us, but then he says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. Because Christ isn't, it's not resurrection something he does, it's who he is. So we come into Christ, we come into the resurrection with him. 
He raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We forget how powerful this gospel is. In John, as John is describing all of these things that Jesus did after the resurrection, he says in John 20, verse 31, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the same confession that Peter had. Also, by the way, the confession that that Martha had when Jesus said, do you believe? I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? And she says, yes, you're the Christ, the Son of God. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing you may have life in his name. Not just believing you can have a second chance, believing you can go to heaven when you die, No, believing I can live the life of Jesus right now on the earth. When we talk about open your, lift your heads, O you gates, open the gates that the King of glory can come in, he's coming through you. You're the gate now. Because you have the resurrection and the life in you. So, That's the question. Is he your resurrection in your life? Is he the one that's living through you? Do I believe again? This is an opportunity for us. Every every Resurrection Sunday, I get to assert again and say, do I believe that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me? Do I believe that I have passed from death to life because of this resurrection. That was the announcement of the resurrection. You are not somebody that used to sin and now you're trying not to. <laughs> you are somebody who was dead in sin and now you are alive in Christ and you no longer carry that death. You get to live from his place of life. It's not a redo. It's not a do-over. It's not like a video game where you died and you get it. Do you know what happens when I get a new life in a video game? I perform just as badly. (laughs) I'm really bad at it. It's not that. It's that we have a new life. And so here's what I want us to think about. Where have I become convinced that it's over where have I become convinced that it's the end, that, it, that it, the worst possible thing has happened? It can't get any better than this. Where have I become convinced that a death is final? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your business or your finances or in what's going on with your kids or your health or Where have I become convinced? Maybe we're looking at what's going on in the world and we go, wow, it's over. (laughs) I can't believe where we're at. Where is that point of disappointment that has become convinced that it's over? Resurrection, the resurrection, he, the resurrection and the life, wants to come and make the announcement. That's what resurrection was. It was the announcement. It's not over. This is not where the story ends for you. This is not 
final until Jesus has had the last word. Where do we need to step into the fullness of that? I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I can't get past. Let the resurrection and the life come into that place. He's the one who can open that door. He's the one who brings life to the things that have been working death in us. Let him tell you a better story. Let him show up in all of his resurrected life and tell you the better story. Amen? Amen. So Jesus, we, we say you are the resurrection and the life. Not just in our hope for heaven or eternity. Not just in, I, I want to know where I'm going to go at the end of this natural life. But Jesus, we say you are the very life that is working against everything that has worked death in us. Lord, we thank you that we get to partner with you in opening the door to your life on the earth. That we carry inside us the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, this resurrection that was the announcement that it's not over. We ask that we would open the gates to the King of Glory that you could come in and be the resurrection and the life in the circumstances around us, in the lives of people around us. God, we pray for boldness to give the testimony, the testimony of those who saw Jesus raised from the dead. Yes, we testify to the beauty of the cross and what it means to us, but we testify to your life at work in us. Release the testimony of your people who've seen the resurrected king. Release the testimony of the people who've gone from death to life. And we thank you that we have a freedom to walk fully in that life. And Jesus, we invite you to tell us the better story about those places that feel dead. Would you open the scriptures to us by your spirit? and tell us the better story about who you are and what that means for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.